if you're feeling satisfied in your relationship and you're happy, um, not only in your relationship, but then also in your life, then you want to take better care of yourself and you want to make sure that you are um, exercising to take care of yourself, eating properly to take care of yourself. You want your life to continue. Um, And so obviously then by doing that, that's also going to make you a happier person. This week, what are the differences between passionate and compassionate love? How do these differences impact your marriage, and how can couples navigate the change between a passionate and compassionate relationship? Dr. Karen Sherman weighs in. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchedmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the original, Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. She is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. And Karen is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Um, so Karen, this time I'm so excited because you were reading something and sent it to me this week. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, an article in the Atlantic. Is that right? Yes. I, yes. The Atlantic. And, um, long story short, the, the, the article talked about, um, the difference between passionate and compassionate love. And it had, uh, cited a couple studies and things in it. And so, um, I thought it'd be fun to talk about. So, uh, to kick things off, first, uh, can you tell the listeners uh, what the difference is between passionate versus compassionate love? Well, passionate love, as the word uh, suggests, passion, is that love that you feel that is full of excitement and energy and the passion that you feel towards somebody. Very often, uh, it's the kind of feelings you get at the beginning of the relationship. Uh, I might even go as far as to say lustful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a lot of dopamine being uh, dropped into the brain. Uh, it feels really good. It feels really exciting. Um, The problem is it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. Um, Compassionate love has more to do with um, being compassionate, being understanding of each other, being friends with each other. And it's certainly not as exhilarating or as exciting, but uh, that is the kind of love that is long lasting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So just to take a quick sidebar here. So it seems to me that it might be, I was just going to say it might be difficult. I'm just kind of like thinking on the spot here. Uh, mm-hmm. so forgive me. Uh, it would be difficult 
in the very beginning, um, when the, the passionate stuff is happening to figure out whether or not the compassionate part is there. Yeah. Um, but then I also think, well, sometimes you have those slow burning relationships where you form the relationship first and then you take the next step. So I guess it really would be just a case by case basis. Uh, wait, let's stop on that. Okay. I think that if the relationship is full of the passion right in the beginning, you're going to be blinded, so to speak, Mm -hmm. by all those emotions and hormones. Um, And you're not going to be able to really tell if there is a really uh, strong friendship there. Um, I think when you talk about the slow burn, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, a lot of times um, a friendship is established and that can actually lead to having more of those intimate, um, passionate feelings. It may not be with the same uh, intensity or force as a passionate relationship, but because of the qualities of the um, intimacy, the emotional intimacy that develops, it can lead to passion. But I'm not sure if that's what you meant when you were talking about the slow burn. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what I meant, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I think I was just trying to like parse out the difficulty and trying to figure out where you, if you're listening to this, trying to figure out like where you stand on this. Um, because just because you have a burning, passionate relationship in the beginning doesn't mean that you can't get there with the, the compassionate part. Um, and it might even be there simultaneously, but it's hard to see and recognize or believe it. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. Now that you're explaining it like that, I think that is true that you might have that. Um, but I, I wouldn't, let's say run and get married, um, based on just the passion, I would wait to see if the other part is there as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the article goes on and it suggests, and I'm going to quote here, the most important predictors of late life happiness are stable relationships and especially long-term partnerships. The healthiest participants at age 80 also tended to have been the most satisfied in the relationships at the age of 50. Um, so that's great to hear, but what does that look like? Well, I think what it looks like is a relationship where the two people are friends, they respect each other, they enjoy each other's company, um, they feel like they really have a partner. So um, they not only have fun with each other and enjoy each other, but they can get through the rough spots together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just a matter of hanging in there and they're you know, for all those years, but there's a real satisfaction with each other where they know that they can count on each other, um, through thick and thin, so to speak, to be, you know, a a little, uh, Mm -hmm. trite about it. Uh, but, but I think that that's really, um, what brings you into having many years together and many years where you can look back and say, okay, you know, I really am satisfied in this relationship. Mm-hmm. It it's interesting. So I have always looked at this uh, as with other friendships as well. When I think about, oh, I can't wait to tell so and so about this. They're gonna mm-hmm. really 
Mm-hmm. That to me is just like one of those intrinsic things where it's like, I like this person and I can't wait to share this experience mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And I love having that feeling with my spouse. When anything mm-hmm. important in my life happens or even meaning, like almost, I would say it, like a better indicator would be when the small things happen that it's like, oh man, they're going to get a kick out of this. I can't wait to tell them about this. Um, that's, that's kind of the thing that I look at and think like, oh yeah, I'm on the right track. It's not like, uh, I want to avoid this person. It's like, I want, can't wait to see this person. You know, it reminds me, um, of something that my best friend who, um, has passed and may she rest in peace that she said that one of the ways that she knew that she wanted to marry, um, the man that she did was that when her grandmother, who she was very close to, passed away, the person she felt she wanted to talk to was her, at at that point, not her husband, but her to become husband. It was the person she felt that she needed to really connect to. Wow. Yeah. That's such a, what a perfect example. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So this basically, as we were just talking, comes down to, it seems to be friendship, having that Mm -hmm. friendship established. Um, but as we know, and we were just talking, uh, marriage isn't the only friendship that's important. Um, can you discuss that a bit? Yeah. The, the article said, and, and I didn't need the article to tell me this, (laughs) that, um, the friendship that you have with your partner is very important, but it should not be the only friendship that you have. And to me, um, this indicates that you cannot expect one person to respond to all your needs or to be responsible for meeting all of your various needs. It's important that you have at least one other person or maybe two or three people that you feel you can go to or count on um, for, you know, different uh, aspects of your life that you feel close to. I think that if you uh, put all of this on just your partner, that becomes a burden. Mm-hmm. It's it's too much responsibility. And as I said, one person cannot meet all your needs. Right. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this uh, on multiple occasions in the past mm-hmm. where it's it's important, particularly when you have, let's say, issues within the relationship itself, uh, you'll right. want that person to talk to about it. Yes. Not, and somebody that you trust where it's not like you tell them this thing and it will forever hang over your relationship either. So, right. And that takes a real honest relationship to be able to do that. Um, so one of the things that stood out to me uh, with a study and the article that it references describes the traits of happiness at old age, and it includes many positive habits. For example, like not smoking, exercising the brain, moderate to no drinking, and so on. Um, as I read this, it seemed natural that these traits would lead to a quote unquote good life. Um, when, when looking at this kind of, uh, habitual formation, is it self-selecting and living a happy life? So basically, um, if, if people are drinking excessively, for example, a lot of times they do that because things haven't been so great. So if you're finding mm-hmm. people who aren't doing excessive drinking, that's probably because things are going pretty good. So if that's the sample that you're taking of people, um, then it seems like it's a like it feeds itself. Yes, I think that you know if you're feeling satisfied in your relationship and you're happy, um, 
not only in your relationship, but then also in your life, then you want to take better care of yourself and you want to make sure that you are um, exercising to take care of yourself, eating properly to take care of yourself. You want your life to continue. Um, And so obviously then by doing that, that's also going to make you a happier person. Um, and you know, that's going to spill over into the relationship. So, you know, one could say, oh, well, uh, is it because you do all those things that that's what makes you a happy person or is the fact that you're happy causing you to do all those things? And, you know, I don't know that you could say one is causing the other. We're back to our correlation that they go together. Mm -hmm. But I do believe as you're saying, that when one is unhappy, you're going to get involved in behaviors to cover up those feelings of unhappiness. Mm -hmm. So I think the initial uh, start point is that if you feel that you are in a good relationship and are satisfied with your relationship, that would be a big motivator for um, behaving in your own life in ways that will then produce even more happiness for you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a simple way for me to also think about it is, um, when you're happy in a relationship, you're usually not looking to cheat. Right. (laughs) Like it's always comes down to, uh, they were expressing themselves in some way to be heard kind of a thing. Uh, and so you do that when you're unhappy. So happy, happy people don't go down that route typically. Um, there's usually other factors built into it. So, um, okay. So, uh, if, if this all comes down to when we're talking passionate versus compassionate and living a happy life, 80 year old plus, uh, having very happy lives. And it comes down to the friendship of the relate long-term relationship. How can couples boost that friendship? Well, people who listen to us on a regular basis mm-hmm. are going to chuckle and say, oh, here we go again. It's the same advice. But it really is true. Again, um, I started this podcast saying in the explanation of what is a compassionate relationship, it's couples who have respect for each other. Mm-hmm. So you want to show respect for one each other. You want to um, be able to really hear each other and understand what the other person needs. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to meet all their needs, but you certainly want to be open to hearing what those needs are. You want to do things that are going to show your appreciation of the other person because that signals to them that that they matter. Um, you want to make time for each other. Um, because what says, you know, I care about you and you matter to me more than, you know, actually spending some time with each other. Um, you want to, it doesn't mean that you never disagree. There's nothing wrong with conflict, but you want to be able to express, uh, your disagreements in a respectful way and to hear where your partner disagrees with you. So do not mistake Um, not ever having a disagreement as, oh, we're really happy. You can absolutely have disagreements. It's the manner in which those disagreements get expressed to one another. So doing the little things um, that let your partner know that they are appreciated, taking the time, being respectful, 
Um, you know, all those little things are important. And the other thing, and we've discussed this also, but I want to throw it in here as well. Um, Dr. Um, oh God, is it Chapman? Mm-hmm. Um, the five languages. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he was really very good about pointing out that different people have different ways of expressing love and receiving love. And it's important that you tune into how it is that your partner likes to receive your love. Mm-hmm. If they um, feel that when you do random acts of kindness, that's your way of saying, I love you. Don't keep going out and buying gifts for them because you're wasting your money. Mm-hmm. So tune into or ask them, you know, how can I best show you that I love you? And then show the love in the way that will matter most to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's really paying attention to your mate and knowing what's important to them. Yeah. Uh, and then trying to, you know, to align with that. Yeah, I was I was just going to add that by even recognizing and acknowledging what their love language is, uh, that is a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. So I think that's... Yes. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. I was yes. trying to think of his first name. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, I think that's, that is uh, excellent advice. And, and I love how you uh, really highlighted the respect part. Uh, when it comes to disagreements, because I do think so many people think that um, unless we're all on the same page or we all fall in line, that that is somehow the right answer. Um, mm-hmm. But it but it isn't. It's it's um, it's it's in fact, I would even argue that sometimes it's those differences that make it interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I know uh, my wife and I don't agree on everything all the time, um, and some of our best, most thoughtful conversations that we have are when we do disagree. And on more than one occasion, we will end a conversation with like, I don't agree with that, but I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, hopefully other people will feel comfortable having those like respectful disagreements and, and thinking of those as, uh, enriching, um, segments of the relationship as opposed to, oh no, we're going down the wrong path because we don't agree on something. Right. Right. Um, was there anything else that you would like to add, uh, in talking about this article and compassionate love? Um, I don't really think so. Um, the, I guess maybe, maybe, you know, it's funny because when I have taught the different types of love, uh, in the textbooks, it's called companionate love, not compassionate love. Um, but I like the use of the word compassionate love because compassion is in there. And I think that that's a very important quality that um, we're um, embracing more, not only for ourselves, but for others. And I think the more that we can be um, showing compassion – for ourselves and others, the kinder we can be, mm-hmm. um, the more uh, that we will have a loving relationship, whether it be to our mate, to ourselves, or to our neighbors. Uh, I think compassion is a really important quality. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually just remind me of one last thing that I'm going to toss in here, um, because you talked about kindness. 
and we've been talking about respect. And I think one of the best ways to demonstrate respect is through honesty. Mm-hmm. And um, I know a lot of people take pride and I've heard them boast about the fact that they are brutally honest with their spouse. Mm. And I know it's been mentioned on this podcast before, but I just wanted to reiterate, there is nothing compassionate or respectful about being brutal. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. be honest um, mm-hmm. and without the brutal part. And so just I just want to remind listeners that if, the, if this is a, a trait that you uh, boast about, just can, take it into consideration the next time you want to be brutally honest with somebody and think about how mm-hmm. can you be compassionately honest with somebody mm-hmm. instead. And mm-hmm. uh, it will probably go over a lot better. Yeah. Now, you see, now I want to spin off on what you're saying <laughs> about honesty. Um, one of the, I think, most significant ways to have intimacy and I'm talking now about emotional intimacy, not physical intimacy, Mm -hmm. is having a sense that I can be honest with you, I can be open with you, and I'm not going to be judged. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is in the sense of not being judged that you will experience this very strong connection with your partner. As a matter of fact, I will also tell you that for many people who have had childhoods where they didn't feel the kind of love that they should have gotten because their parents didn't have the resources or the ability or whatever, a lot of healing can take place in our present day relationships if somebody, let's say the woman, can openly talk about her fears or her concerns and have her mate hear her, not minimize it, Mm -hmm. not criticize it, but really be open to hearing it and validating it and coming back with a response that is very accepting. Mm. And that really goes very far, not only for the present day relationship, but actually for healing some of the um, unfortunate, less than loving circumstances from childhood. But again, what I want to stress is that that truth telling can only take place when the person feels that the recipient um, is not going to judge, put down, criticize, mm. dismiss, whatever. So when you said brutally honest, I totally agree with you. Um, I'm going to tell an anecdote. Uh, it's funny that you should bring that up because I was thinking about it today. Mm. Uh, Richie bought me flowers for um, Valentine's Day. And we were talking about how beautiful the flowers are looking as they're opening up. And I don't know the name of the flowers, but it's the one that when it opens the middle part of it, if you get it on you, stains like crazy. Yeah. uh Okay. But anyway, so I was commenting that how beautiful they are, but they always tend to be the ones that open the last. And I was reminded, which I didn't share with him, but I'm going to share now with all the listeners, (laughs) that um, my, when my mother was in the hospital, she lived in California at the time, and I'm in New York. I sent her flowers, and I said to her, you know, Mom, the flowers came in. Oh, yes. I said, how, how do they look? She said, well, do you want me to be honest with you? <laughs> and I said, yes. She said, eh, 
not so great. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God. But th- this is typical of you know the dysfunctional mother that I had. And then a couple of days later, they opened up. They mm-hmm. hadn't opened yet. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, they're beautiful now. But that was my mother. You know, mm-hmm. Don't you want me to be honest with you? Well, you know what, Ma? No, I really don't. <laughs> don't be so brutally honest with me. Um, but anyway, uh, to your point, do not be brutally honest. Uh, there are ways to present things to your mate. And again, um, I can't encourage people enough that if your mate tells you something very personal, really um, embrace it, honor it, be respectful of it. And that is how you really grow the intimacy and the friendship between the two of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times people have a hard time not responding as opposed to just accepting it and validating it. Mm-hmm. They will they will want to offer an opinion when one might not be necessary or even wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, this was great, Karen. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We will wrap it up there. Uh, I can't wait to do this again with you very soon. Thank you, Steve. All righty. Before you guys go, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen, as I mentioned at the top, is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can find her at her website, drkarensherman.com, where... uh, She's also doing uh, virtual um, uh, doing virtual uh, sessions, so uh, check that out if you're interested. Of course, you can find all this information at our website, hitchedmag.com, where we have thousands of articles, the entire uh, hundreds and hundreds, over 500 podcasts now, I think, uh, archive on our website, and we have a free newsletter that goes out each Monday. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up. Um, But if you like this podcast, please uh, leave us a a rating or review. Those are helpful to us um, in multiple ways. So uh, if you don't mind doing that, that'd be greatly appreciated. Okay, that's going to do it. Until next time, take care, everybody.